The St. Charles County Veterans Museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. The museum would not exist without the donations of our generous community. Your donations ensure the museum continues to share and preserve the stories of our veterans. Would you like to be part of something special? To donate, visit sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate. The Dog Tag Podcast may at times cover sensitive topics including, but not limited to, suicide, abuse, violence, severe mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol addiction. You are advised to refrain from watching or listening to the Dog Tag Podcast if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, host, director, or guests shall at any time be liable for the content covered causing offense, distress, or other reaction. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. The primary purpose of the Dog Tag Podcast is to educate. The views, information, or opinions expressed on the Dog Tag Podcast are solely the views of the individuals or guests involved and by no means represent absolute facts. The Dog Tag does not accept responsibility for their views or comments. Ladies and gentlemen, wonderful people of Earth, welcome back to the Dog Tag Podcast. Me, Dominic Masters, my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, the one behind everything making this podcast possible, Mr. Jason Galvin. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. All right, good to see you again. How was work today? Perfect. Staying out of the heat? Trying. Dude, I think they said the heat index was 104 today. That's a hot one, man. Ridiculous on the Mississippi River, concrete and steel. It's a hot one here in St. Louis, folks. We are coming to you live from the studio at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. Hey, listen, thanks for tuning in and sticking with us. We're going to have some more fun today. We've got a great guest. Another thing I haven't mentioned is this museum. If you're local or just maybe passing through town, Google St. Charles County Veterans Museum. you got to come by here and check this place out. It was put together by these wonderful volunteers that just want to preserve memories and stories of the great men and women of this country that have given us all the freedom to sit here and talk to you great people. So come by, check it out. We're on Facebook. Give us a shout. Jason, today we have a special guest. If you did happen to tune into part two of my personal story, um, you'd heard this guy's name. He is a brother of mine, a close friend now, but he started off as a manager of mine and a mentor. Um, when I was doing that, when I got into that program down at the Ray Building downtown here um, that, that ended up getting me the job with the Corps of Engineers, Tim Taylor, my buddy, he was my manager there. Uh, he was the guy in the last podcast that I went up and asked, what should we wear and all that good stuff. So I've known him since 2016. Like I said, he was my manager then, but he's become a great friend of mine now, a brother, and uh, really happy happy to have him here. He's got a great story that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. Um, this thing could go on for weeks if we allowed it to, but uh, so maybe you know we'll see what happens in the future. I'm going to introduce you to my buddy, my brother, Tim Taylor. Thanks for being here, brother. Thanks for taking time away from the family. Come do this for us. Let's kick it off. Have some fun. How you doing, man? Dom, I'm doing great. Couldn't think of a better place to be tonight than hanging out with you and uh, just you know trading stories, starting yeah. over where we where we began. We yeah, dude. T- you know, we started telling my story out at 
Scott Air Force Base. I, got, I remember I got asked to come out there and talk. Yeah. A few times you were out there, uh, and you came up and talked to me. And I, ever since then, I was like, man, this guy, he's got something in him. I know he's going places. He just, he just needed needed people in his life that were going to make sure that happened. And uh, he got the right people in his life, and it made it happen. And Dom took control of his own life. I'm sure I didn't listen to part two, but I already know it's amazing. Uh, Dom's story is amazing. He's uh, just a fantastic human being. I wouldn't rather be wouldn't rather be talking to anybody else today than you, brother. Well, it's on Spotify. Check us out after we leave here. Yeah, no. <laughs> Jason just got it all edited. It sounds great. I hope everybody enjoys it. Do you remember when I came up and asked you the question about what, what should I wear? Oh yeah. Because I told the story on the last podcast and you had a look, you looked at me kind of like nobody else is asking me shit like that, you know? Yeah. And maybe it's weird about me. I, it's that, it's that old thing where like dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Yeah. He had khakis and a polo, whatever he had some slacks and a polo on, you know? So I, I like, to me, I'm working at the federal building. I got this opportunity. So I wanted to look the part and I remember that look you gave me was like, fuck is he? but it made a lot of sense because when we showed up, I was kind of the only one that was dressed. So you gave me great advice, dude. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing about you, you were a sponge. I mean, you, anything I said, you just took like, I don't know why you trusted me. I have no clue. Uh, I, I should have questioned your, you know, your judgment then when you trusted me as much as you did and you asked me the questions you were, but Man, you took it and ran, and I remember, I do remember you telling me, like, what should I wear, you know, what should I do, and it was different for you. You had worked, you know, in different jobs, you know, being in the Marine Corps and, uh, you know, working at Home Depot and stuff like that, and now you're going to work in a professional world. It's a, it's a different world. It was a shock to me. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't doing it that long, so I had imposter syndrome a little bit telling people what they're doing right. with their life. And they're like, why should I listen to you? And I'm like, I don't know, because they pay me for you to listen to me. I don't know. I don't yeah. know why you should listen to me. I'll, I'll try to give you a reason, though. Dude. That was the one thing. I tried to give you a reason to listen to me. And I do remember, I want to say this, because this was the one thing that stood out to me, was when that Corps of Engineers recruiter came up. Mm. I told everybody in that room before that person walked in there, I said, man, if this person walks out and you don't talk to him, you're an idiot. Y'all are an idiot and you don't want a job. Yeah. And that person walked in, talked to everybody and went to walk out and one person went to talk to her. Yeah. One person who works there now. Well, they, they, no, they came, she came up the one, this person came up the one time and was talking to us, uh, uh, all of us. Yeah. And then she came in the, I don't know if you remember, she came in the lab the one day and you were having a conversation with her over by the door. Remember how it was like over to the side and nobody was around Yeah. and you go, Hey Dom, get the fuck over here. And I'm like, that's professional. But by that time we knew we could bullshit with each other, you know? And I came over and you were like, Hey, what do you think about being a lock and dam operator for the Corps of Engineers? Tim, I, I'm telling you, I grew up on that river. I grew up on the Mississippi party in, but I was south of the lock and dam. So yeah. I had no, I was like, oh, dude, it sounds great. You know, because yeah. you, you had told me a few times, like, get in with the core, job secure, all that shit. So foot in the door. Yeah. And it was just so like that shot in the dark that he took, you know, I mean, he vouched for me in a big way. He, he only knew me for about five months and he vouched for me in a big way, but I, I was like not gonna not gonna drop the ball on this one again. I was like thirty five, so I, it was a it was not last shot, last resort. But like I needed this one big, you know. I can tell it impacted you really well, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you always need someone to advocate for you, someone in your corner, man. Sure, you know to to make to make uh, even the smallest dreams come true, but big ones like you know getting a career. Yeah, and having something you can count on for your family is is huge, especially 
you know, one of the biggest things that I find in veterans is they have a hard time with that transition, man, from, yeah, yeah. from whatever they were doing in, in the service, no matter how long they've been out of the service, to, to making that turn to to the professional world, to the to the civilian world, you know? Right. Well, yourself as a manager, Tim as a manager, if, if a person is willing to put the work in, like you're willing to step up for them and stuff, but, you know, each person's going to either prove it or not. So, Absolutely. So it's kind of up to the individual and, and you know, I... I put myself in a position where it's like they're they're gonna recognize me. They're gonna know who I am. You know, show up on time. All this stuff, people. If you're if you're trying to um, make your way back into the world, you know, punctuality and, and asking a manager how to dress, whatever. All that shit can be helpful. So again, man, thanks. You're gonna tell me to shut, but you you have. I remember when I got the interview, I called him and like I was crying. I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you've done for me. He goes, bro, you did this. I, I talked to a person and you came over and you did, you, it was, so he, while he gave me that push, he wanted me to know that it was kind of my accomplishment too. And that's just him not wanting to take it off of me. You know, now that I know him, I know what the fuck he was up to, but it was so important to me, like you said, to have somebody going, dude, you got this, you know? Absolutely. Well, Donald, why don't, why don't you help us walk through uh, Tim's history real quick and let's find out kind of, uh, you know, where this all started, you know, uh, you mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about um, where he came from, what he did. So why don't you go with that? Yeah, let's just do, we, we like to go back to where you're from. I know where you're from, but let's tell the people where you're from, all that good stuff. Yeah, so I was uh, I was born in Granite City, Illinois. Uh, didn't live there very long. Lived there for about two months, moved to Texas for a little bit. Uh, moved back from Texas to Ferguson, grew up uh, Ferguson, Calverton Park area. Good area. Yeah, fantastic area. Great time of year to visit yeah. there. It's nice and hot. Regular kid, not you know, not a lot of money. If you're from that area, you probably don't have a lot of money. Yeah. There's certain people there that do. Right down the street, bro. Yeah. But uh, you know, not us. You know, we didn't we didn't have any, you know. Yeah. Moving forward. Look, dude, we could go high school. Yeah. We can go nuts, Wherever but you wanna go? Yeah, you know, what I had my my thing that I knew I wanted to be a Marine as a kid. Like we like to tell that part of the story yeah. too. What was your my junior year? I meant to, what was your what was your kind of thing that pushed you into Army life? So it, it was really strange. I remember. I guess it would have been in two thousand, like the beginning of that school year. Mm-hmm. No, maybe beginning of two thousand one school year before before nine eleven. I remember this girl talking to me in class, and I can't. For, for the life of me, remember her name. I don't even remember if I knew who she was back then. Uh, and she looked at me and she goes, dude, you're going in the military. And I'm like, no way. You, you lost your mind. I don't even like school telling me what to do. Yeah. You think I'm going to yeah. let the military yeah. tell me what to do? Great. Yeah. My dad beats me. I'm not going to let them beat me. Right. Like, get out of Volunteer. here. I'm, <laughs> I'm signing up to get beat up and yelled at. Get out of here. I do that for free at home. Yeah. No way. That's going to happen. Well, then I remember, you know, this one this one morning I was sitting in our homeroom, which was in the gym, and everybody go running over uh, to the weight room because there was a TV in there. And I'm just sitting there like, I don't care what's going on in the world, bro. Yeah. I'm a tough kid. I'm a bad boy. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care about anything. You know that feeling? Yeah. You're a rebel in high school. I do. And, uh, you know, they come, people come out and they're like, planes crashing the Twin Towers. Buddy, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. I was an idiot. I was so uneducated. I was like, 
the fuck are the Twin Towers? Dude, I'm with you. Okay, good. Okay, I What's there, New York City? Yeah, New York City. Where's that at on a map? I don't know. Yeah. I go in there and I watch the video and I'm blown away, you know, that this is happening. I'm like, man, what the fuck would drive people to do this? Yeah. Like, what is going on? Yeah. And now all of a sudden I got a reason to start caring about geopolitics and I got to start caring about other things that I never worried about because I never worried about going to school or you know, going out to any business and no plane crashing. And I mean, I never worried about getting on a plane because I've never been on one at that point. Yeah. I mean, you know? Yeah. Like, and now I got to worry about getting on a plane. They're going to crash in the buildings. No way. I'm not getting on a plane now. Yeah. You know, so I was freaking out that day. Uh, well, my mom pulls me out of school like right after it happened. It had to be the next class. I, was, I remember I was in history class. Can't remember what time it was or anything. But, but my mom took me out of school and, you know, she's freaking out. The world's ending. And that's kind of the mindset everybody has. The world's ending. And I go hang out with a friend, and he invites another friend over, and this guy's in the National Guard. Now we're like, we're going to get some secrets. Yeah. You know, because I'm... The squirrels. Yeah, because I... <laughs> September 2001, I just turned 16, you know. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm going to get squirrels. Yeah. I'm going to get these secret squirrels. They're going to tell me all the information. So we're hanging out with this guy, and I'm like, man, what the heck is going on? He's like, dude, I don't know. I'm running to Canada. I'm like, what did you just say? And he's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to war. And I'm like, dude, what are you what are you talking about? Have you not watched the news? Have you not seen, like, thousands of people are dead now? Like, you're going go to go run away? Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, if you think you can do better, do it. And, Dom, I know you know me well enough. If I get challenged, damn it, I, I'll take that challenge. I'd rather fail. Yeah, I'd rather. And try. Yeah. You know. So... You know, I had to wait till I turned 17. I turned 17 in August of 2002. I went and met with a Marine Corps recruiter. Because the whole time I'm thinking, I'm like, man, I'm I'm coming. Like, there's going to be hell to pay. Like, we're going to war, and you see it on TV. You know, this is 2001, 2002. It was madness. You watch the TV. It's, you know, Afghanistan. It's Iraq. There's weapons of mass destruction. People are trying to kill us everywhere. And, you know, it's kind of the hysteria the news likes to create. And when you're 16, 17-year-old, it's really easy to get caught up in that. Dude, I, I can get influenced by, like you know, a bird. Yeah. I mean, and hell Burger King did that. Burger King was like freedom fries. Cause they're not France. Yeah. Like, you know, like we, everybody was so patriotic and so it was, beautiful, and it, was it? it was a beautiful time. And, and I just wanted to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I remembered that challenge and I remembered, I couldn't imagine if I was the mother or father or daughter or son. Right. And I lost somebody in nine 11 and I turned and looked at him, and I was like, what is your response going to be? I'm going to run to Canada. Rough, dude. Dude, that's rough. Rough, dude. That's rough. Yeah. If that mom or son or father, daughter, whatever, turns to me, and they're like, what's your response be? I'm going to like, whatever it needs to be yeah, to get I'm the not, job done. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not sure, but. I'm tell you, but whatever it needs to get the job done. Yeah. I'm willing to do it. Yeah, this can't happen again. Yeah, you know, and and I think that we, we forget that that's kind of the way the country was then. Everybody, not just a bunch of us. It was just a bunch of us that did it. Yeah. A bunch of people talked about it. I mean, hell, I was at the carnival the other day and some guys like, man, I almost joined. It's not that I wouldn't have because I wanted to fight, but I almost joined. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I get it. You were patriotic, but you didn't have the drive to do it. That's yeah. okay. And yeah. that, that's okay. Just don't tell me you almost joined and don't tell me you were willing to fight if you didn't join. Sure. You weren't that willing to fight. 
Because I got I got a huge huge twenty two thousand dollars the year I served. In yeah, Iraq. I was I mean I was low rich dude, just rich, just desert fighting rich. wars and you know just just rich as could be. Yeah. So all right, what was your MOS in the army? So I want to backtrack because I did say I uh, I met with a marine recruiter. Oh first. yeah, 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 and, yeah, and yeah. you and you being a marine, they I got told a lot you of to marine. leave. They yeah. said, get the fuck out of here. You're not one of us. No, they didn't. <laughs> the Marine recruiter goes, you ready to die for your country? And I was like, nah, man. That, that sounds f- like a bad strategy. Yeah. Like, I want to fight for it, <laughs> yeah, but like, why do you got to say it like that? Like, How does that win wars? Like, yeah, yeah. You're going to die for your country? Nah. Uh, those people already did that. Right. 9-11 already happened. Yeah. I'm not dying for anything. Yeah, I'm going to get revenge. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of the way I looked at it. And then uh, I was playing hockey with an Air Force recruiter, and he's like, all the Marines in the Army are going to do is give you a gun and a helmet and throw you on a beach. And I'm like, man, I've never been to the beach. It sounds amazing. Right. So I was, so he was out. And then next comes Army. Well, I had a friend talking to the Army. Recruiter, she'd sent him over to me. Uh, and he goes, you like pussy? And I'm a baby boy. I know I shouldn't probably say that on here because my kids are going to listen to this one day. And I'm sorry, kids. Yeah, but it's true. And, uh. I go, yeah, I do. And he goes, buddy, with that lily white baby face in that uniform, you are going to do so good. Yeah. And I'm like, I just want to go to the beach. And he's like, Fort Stewart, Georgia's right next to Tybee Island. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck Tybee Island is, but let's go. Yeah. So, you know, I was I was easily recruited. All it did, didn't take money or college. All I guess all it took was women, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a I, uniform for me. Yeah. And I love my wife. I was with my wife shortly after and been with her ever since. So right. it's not like I. You are in I deep shit, of, sir. Yeah, I didn't, it's not like I did a lot of women chasing, but T- I love you all. Tara is going to have that ass. I love you, you Tara. Uh, but yeah, that's all it took, I guess. Uh, not, I, was a cheap, I was a cheap recruit. But that response is pretty honest. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't want it, well, I don't want to come in here and lie. I got to be. Yeah, I don't gotta sugarcoat be it. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. It, like, di- it didn't get me to sign. But it was for sure like number two when I got home. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, you put the dress blues on oh uh, any goodness. uniform. Any forget uniform. it, dude. It's so I'm with you. UPS guys are out there showing their thighs off. Like, yeah, dude. Check it out, dude. The moms love it. Like the, they the do. The Browns are yeah. in, bro. The Browns are in. <laughs> Turn in the desert camis for the Browns. So, so you sign up. Uh, you're at. The, I know in the Marine Corps, you well for grunts, you have to barely pass the ASVAB, and then you're, so why. What was your MOS and why were you attracted to that particular job? Yeah, so when I signed up, when I met with the Army, I'm like, Army Ranger, that's what I want to be. For sure. I watched Black Hawk Down, now I'm an expert, you know. Fast roping, bitch. It was one of those deals, like, I watched Black Hawk Down and I just, I loved Army Rangers and kind of looked into them after that. Hell yeah. uh, You know, so I was like, okay, well, I definitely want to go Special Forces. All I really want to do is be a sniper. That's really all I wanted. Yeah. Uh, but I felt like army rangers was the path, mm. but recruiters being recruiters are like, look, man, this is, and you got to think is August, 2002. He's like, I can get you an infantry school in July, 2004, but I can get you an artillery school in July, 2003. Yeah. And I'm like done. So I end up being a 13 Bravo okay. cannon crew member, pull a string, go boom. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, gun bunny. King of Battle, whatever yeah. you want to call us. Bring Didn't really it. do any of it. Send it. Yep. So, dude, there's a lot. We can go through boot camp story. I Okay, the reason I have Tim here, Tim, is it amputee? Is that the correct term? Yeah. Okay, Tim is an amputee. 
when you asked me earlier about when we were doing the thing at the federal building, like, why would I trust you? I see a dude with a fucking hand like that. I want to talk to him more. Right. So as I got to know Tim, you, you can, you know him, you guys already know him by the way he talks. He's pretty open and honest about stuff. I had to know like about his hand, you know, it was, it was interesting to me. I'd never really been, um, personal friends with an amputee. So it, it took me a little while, but he finally, and his, his mentality towards it and his thought process was very much like the rest of us. We talked about in the first, like our sense of humor is it's not, it should not be like for the public to hear. It's only like closed door shit because it is wild. But as I knew, or as I suspected, he turned it into a funny thing. And that always attracts me to guys. Like when, you know, you can take that thing that somebody else may see as a deficit or whatever and turn it into funny. And this is why. So I want to get to that day. You spent a lot of time over there and there's tons of stories we have and you come back and we'll, we'll just do this over and over and over until we're, until we're in our sixties, dude. But for today, I want to go over that story that took that fucking hand of yours. I know the story. I've been told it, but it fascinates me every time because it is just, it's gnarly, you know? So can we go to that day, that location, that year? Can you just start painting that picture? Here's your brush. Start painting, baby. Yeah, let's go. So it's October 27, 2005. So very, very hot. Listen to Jocko. (laughs) Yeah. He's doing his Jocko. Very, very hot. Iraq morning. I woke up at 4.30 that morning. Yeah, yeah. I probably did wake up at 4.30 that morning. 5,000 burpees before that. You know, so it was just a normal Iraq day. Uh, Hot as balls. Where are you at? I was in Baghdad, Iraq. Okay, okay. Uh, We were running, that day we were running convoy escort for the Department of Justice. Okay. So there's five prisons around Baghdad, including Abu Ghraib, though. Okay. Famous Abu Ghraib. Yeah, yeah. We we always hear about. Um, Well, the Department of Justice was the prison guards at the moment. It was Mm. no longer military. It was escort out, or... um, it was contract out to Department of Justice. Okay. They were doing it because of, probably because of everything that happened in Abu Ghraib that made it famous. So they probably took it I don't know what you're army. talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm Let's gonna, skip over that. We're yeah. going to skip over yeah, yeah, all yeah. that. But Department of Justice was uh, doing all of the prison guards at the moment. So we we did the convoy escorts for the exchange. Basically, we would you know pick them up at the embassy in the morning. We'd drive around to all the prisons. Their vehicles would pull out. Our vehicle or Their vehicles would pull out, and then new vehicles would pull in. Yeah. We'd just drive off. What do you mean? Hold on. Sorry. What do you mean? I'm going to cut you off because yeah. I'm interested. What do you mean the exchange? Like for prisoners? No, it was just for the guards. Change of just guard. The, yeah. Okay. Oh, the guard shift. Yeah. Okay. So I it, thought we were making deals. No, 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 I no, mean, no. Uh, we can get to those. Let's later. not go there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Go ahead. We can get the money exchange later. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so you guys are running convoy security. Yeah. So we're doing convoy security for Department of Justice at the time. Uh, it's a pretty dangerous mission because we typically have like eight um Department of Justice vehicles with us at any given moment, you know, trucks filled with uh, just their guards. But, you know, they're in up-armored SUVs. You're driving through Baghdad and up-armored SUVs with six-gun trucks. You uh, you might as well just paint a target on your back and say, pull a string, go boom, right Dude, on top of us. Any vehicle, yeah. Yeah, they, they just knew we were coming. So uh, I remember waking up that morning just having this just terrible feeling. And I'm like, oh, my God. God, this is the day because I, I knew that mission was terrible and I've always had a weird intuition and people think I'm crazy, but I typically end up being right. I mean, look where you're sitting now. I'm just yeah. going to say that. Pick that uh, hand up of yours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I was Something dead, was on time. I was dead right that time. Dude. Right. Right. Uh, but I just remember everything being off and um, 
just having a bad feeling about that day. So I was in a bad mood. It was already. So as people were coming up, I'm already bitching and moaning. And they know me. I'm, I bitch and moan a lot. I, yeah. I was, uh, you know, it was, it was one of my, one of my strengths back then was to, to do all the bitching that everybody else wouldn't and get yeah. in trouble for everybody else, you know? Right. Uh, something I'm pretty good at. But I just remember having this bad feeling and going out on the mission and just, you know, just the longer the day went on, my stomach was just tightening up and just tightening up. And um, we're getting to the last the last prison. It's, you know, not too far away from our fob. Uh, you know, it's a couple miles south, maybe 10-minute drive, maybe. But we got to cross over this bridge, and we got blown up on this bridge um, back in, I want to say, May of 2005, and they closed that bridge down. Uh, we got hit by an energy force projectile back then, too. Luckily, we had no loss of life. It was one of two energy force projectiles that have no loss of life. Uh, the second one being mine mm-hmm. at the moment. I don't know. There's probably been way more sure. since. But in your time. Yeah, and in our time. So uh, they closed that bridge down because it, it created a bad choke point. For it's us. terrible. Yeah. And they just reopened the bridge. So when they come out, when our lieutenant comes up and he's, you know, giving us sit rep and what we're doing that day and everything going on. He, he reads, we're going over this bridge. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. So of course now I'm losing my shit and I'm bitching our lieutenant all day. Like this bullshit, we gotta go over this bridge. And as we're going over the bridge, I see a guy on the bridge looking awful suspicious. And I call him out as a spotter. And everybody's like, dude, you've been bitching all day. We do not believe it's a spotter. Yeah. So we go to the prison. Uh, we get to that final prison and then we're, trying to get our we're trying to get our radios to work none of our radios are working now. great so good news like, yeah great the radios are out you good know? news uh we have these ied blockers in the back it's probably what took the radios out um those were the, those old warlock systems it probably didn't work i don't know Whatever. some contractor got paid a lot for it we'll cut yeah that out. yeah uh so you know we go back over the bridge and you know next thing i know i'm waking up and you know vehicle hanging out you know kind of hanging off the bridge a little bit. They didn't have any guardrails because we took down all the guardrails. So it was just a chain link fence because they were hiding IEDs behind guardrails and blowing it up. That's how we lost our first uh, set of troops. We lost three guys May 24th, 2005. because an IED was placed behind a guardrail. So we went and took all the guardrails down. So now we're on overpass, no guardrail, kind of hanging over the side. I see blood all over the window. I have no idea what's going on. Why did we? Why did we continue to let civilians cross the bridge? Yeah, yeah that's, fuck them. Yeah. I mean, I understand it's theirs, but it's ours now. Yeah, I mean, so you, obviously, obviously, in your occupation store, versus war. That's a you know, that's a yeah. It you know, yeah, but with a bridge, dude. Yeah, you know that's a bad spot to be. In. Every bridge is a bad spot to be in in fucking Iraq. Yeah, there's a tunnel. Like, we got called the tunnel of love because they're like you get blown up in the tunnel. It's like no shit, you get right. blown up in a tunnel. I would blow everybody. Pay up in some the civilians <laughs> to clear the bridge before we go. But then again, you're still giving up your position. So exactly. it's like, what what can you you know? We weren't really operating under the best rules of engagements and operations. Yeah. I mean, we had curfews and everything. Like, oh, cool, you got a curfew. Guess what? They're going to come out and set bombs when you're not out at night. Yeah, they're at watching. <laughs> they're like inmates. They're yeah. watching you all day, and you're, you know, so. They got nowhere to go, and they're not uh, playing on Instagram in 2005, yeah. and they're not. Yeah, uh, and you're in our fucking house. Yeah. We don't want you here. Exactly. Infidels, you know. So it was it was very easy to target us. Sure. And. All of us. Uh you know, that kind of, it, it feeds into the paranoia. The longer you're there, the le- the more bombs you get hit by. When you're not getting hit by bombs, you're like, damn it, I got to get hit by a bomb. I got to release that pressure yeah. valve. Yeah, let's get it over with. And 
I was kind of, I guess I was kind of getting to that state as it was. And then just something about that day. And then next thing you know, you're waking up on a bridge. And I remember seeing the window just covered in blood and waking up like, what the fuck happened? And I look over and our Lieutenant West Knight, he's, uh, he's kind of laid out like up against his door. I can see he's bleeding. Our, our gunner's kind of freaking out. I don't really hear well, so I don't know what's going on. I can, I can't really hear anything at the moment. Are you riding a shotgun? No, I'm driving. Okay, you're driving. Okay, all right. We're painting a picture. Okay, yeah, I'm driving. And uh, so you're foggy, people. Yeah, I'm just kind of. It, it, it it's kind of accurate in the movies when they show people getting knocked out and stuff. How they kind of come back. And, I agree. And it's like you got that ringing in your ear and that fogginess and and how everybody sounds off in the distance. I mean, I've been knocked out a lot. That's that's pretty accurate in movies. Yeah. Jay, you've you've like hit a hammer on a steel table like an idiot with that ring. Yes. It it's like amplified or in the movies they have now. It's amplified by that, but then it just doesn't go away. And you're yeah. like, generally when I listen to Slipknot with earbuds in on the highest volume there is, it tends to fade. But when you get that <laughs> real when you get that real good big one, it's just like constant constant thing, but at first you think it's just going to go away and and then it doesn't at all absolutely so, like that that ringing thing that they're doing and now in the movies it's better it's yeah. like it's pretty i mean it's you're like holy shit, is that mine or is that the movie i can't tell which one's which. yeah and then that the fact that you live through that ringing every day the rest of your life yeah like, i would never expect huh? that yeah huh i was like yeah i mean i when you're talking injuries you know it's like okay you see the hands you're like all right the hands and you don't even think like oh i gotta hear ringing in my ear the rest of my life it like, probably drives you nuts doesn't it oh Beyond yeah. Uh, try to go to sleep or like yeah, listen to anything. I don't sleep anymore. Yeah. What's sleep? Yeah. Uh, so your your bell is rung like yeah. something you've never experienced. You're seeing these the, your brothers that you are riding with. They fucking know you don't want to be on this mission today. That, like uh, you manifested destiny in a way, right? You were trying to keep it from manifesting, yeah, but kind you, of. you did it. You know, you son of it. You so I've learned that that's true. The more I try to avoid destiny, the more I just smack it right in the face. Yeah, like, dude. You know, a fight it, whether it's a fight with your wife, like I don't want to do that fight, and it just happens. Yeah. Or, you know what? No matter what it is, whatever you try to avoid in life, it's going to punch you right in the For face. Sure. So you might as well just get punched in the face by it. Yeah. One part of this that I clearly remember you telling me, um, you you're gonna you're gonna fill in the blanks here, but you got out of the vehicle at some point and you said that blood like on your, on your heartbeat, like with your pulse, which makes sense. I know everybody knows, you know, when you're blah, blah, blah. But Tim was telling me Jay that like, obviously you can see his hand, ladies and gentlemen on his left hand, he's got a thumb left. And so I, when he was telling me that story, I kind of like, I remember like looking down at his hand and thinking, but he, how far was it? Like it was shooting, right? So it was it was right next to the vehicle. It shoots at ten thousand feet per second. Wow! Your blood. Oh, you're talking about my no, no, blood. No, yeah, no, my sorry. blood was shooting at ten thousand feet per second. Yeah, I was yeah. sniping people with it. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> taking oh. out the enemy with just blood yeah. shots from the hand. No, uh, yeah. So uh, finally, I realized the blood on the window's mine. I kind of looked down to check my legs, and I I looked right. Pa- I literally looked right past my hands, just like ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. See it, but yeah. I looked down. I'm like, okay, you can't feel any. Boy anything. parts are still there. We're good, right, folks. Right. And then as I come back up, I, I see my hands, and then the pain kind of kicks in, and shock kicks in. Really? Uh, well, I know the way we do things is we don't enter a kill box. If there's somebody in there dying, they got to die. 
So I got to get out of the kill box, you know, because they're going to let me bleed to death mm-hmm. because of secondary IEDs, which did end up killing uh, one of our medics, Doc Ryan Walker. Uh, bless his soul. Died. Shout out, dude. You know, mm-hmm. he died the same day. Uh, a buddy of mine, Sarn Lopez, died. Well, Sarn Lopez's vehicle was hit, took him out. Doc Walker got out, ran up on the vehicle. Secondary took him out. So, are they remote detonate? <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm yeah. They're, are they remote detonate? So like, there was different ways. So it wasn't uh, pressure plate all the time. No, it wasn't one- pressure plates. Mine weren't pressure plates. Uh, what we we're told was they were garage door openers. Oh, okay. Um, so they were just setting them off with garage yeah. door openers. Simple, simple transact. I mean, boom. Yeah, and they could arm them with that, and then they would use the sensor from the garage to set them off. Huh. So like, we ended up hanging rubber mats out in front of our front vehicle to set them off early so they'd blow up in front of the vehicle. Nice. That worked for a little bit. Nice. Until they, you know, anything we do, they, they just make changes. Yeah, so, for sure. So we did that, and then they just start blowing up vehicles in the middle of the convoy instead right. of the front of the convoy. Right. But getting so you, back to my story. You get out. I get out because, you know, now I know I got to get out. I got to save my own fucking life. Yeah. You know, nobody's coming to save me. Maybe. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Not a betting man. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm only betting on me. Yeah. Because that's the only input I can have. So I only bet on inputs. I don't bet on a, other people's outcomes. Yeah. So I get out. Luckily, I wasn't wearing my belt. Believe it or not, we had a rule. We had to wear a belt. Mm-hmm. I think it was the dumbest thing ever. Guys got stuck in the vehicle and died because of it, so I refused to wear a belt. So this day, I kind of refused to wear a belt. So yes, you do. Uh, law enforcement, if you catch me out there, be nice. Be tripping. Look at his hand. Yeah. So, you know, I get out, and I start running to the medic, and I make it out of the kill box, and, I mean, blood is just squirting six feet in the air. At every pump of my heart, it's just... Now your heart's beating faster. Oh, yeah, and your heart's beating because I'm running, so I'm... I'm just losing blood with every second, and I, I finally lose enough blood, and then my buddy, uh, Sarn Parrish, who's kind of my mentor when I was in the military, not kind of, he was my mentor, mm-hmm. my unofficial mentor, who I looked up to in the way he held himself, the way he wanted to just, he wasn't afraid to be him, and I was never afraid to be me, so he's yeah. a guy I always looked up to. Well, uh, he grabbed me from behind and kind of pulled me to the ground, and they started first aid on me. I remember, you know, him patting me up and down and being like, hey, man, uh, I got to pat you down there, and I just remember copping a joke like, I know you just want to cop a few yeah. or something. You know, me being me, I'm never going to stop being me. Again, dude, dark humor. Yeah, dark humor for sure. And uh, so they're like, all right, get the gurney. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I walked into this country. I'm sure as shit walking out of it. Right. So I get up, and I get to the vehicle, and we got about a 10-minute drive to go. And, I mean, my my soldiers – and they weren't my soldiers, but, you know, my guys. They, yeah. They're my guys, you know. Uh, they were amazing. I mean, we, I remember uh, Vasquez. Vasquez, everybody thought this was a shitty soldier, dude. He had no motivation. I remember he goes, you know what makes me different from all of you? I was like, what's that, Vasquez? He goes, you all strive for excellence. I strive for mediocrity. Wow. And I'm like. I couldn't help but laugh. And he was an older, you know, he was an older guy for a private or whatever he was yeah. at the time. Like, you know, I think he was in his 30s and the rest of us, I was, I was 19, yeah. you know. Like it, yeah. So that was an older guy back then. I'm 37 now. That was an older guy back then. And that day, 
Like, I'm dying in that. I'm sitting in the back of this Humvee just bleeding to death. I'm just watching the blood leak out of my hands. Because it's not just my left hand. We talk about my left hand. My right hand was ripped in half. My right thumb was ripped all the way down to my elbow. I mean, it was just dangling. Like, I've had a lot of trauma to that. And I'm not saying you, you were skipping over it. But it, it's hard. Poor Most right people hand, don't even dude. know. Yeah. Poor right hand is no love. <laughs> yeah, it gets no love. Yeah. It, it was just torn to piece. I've had more surgeries on my right hand than any part of my body. Just wow, rebuilding yeah. that thing. So. Yeah, I was going to bring it up to let you know. But. Yeah. I know. Uh, well, I knew you knew, but so, so you're getting the fuck out of there. Yeah. So they they get me. You know, they get me bandaged up. We get in the Humvee and we're just gone. And Vasquez is just. I hear him shooting warning shots, and this dude is kicking me in the ribs and and punching me in the head and just to keep me alive. Stay up, you, yeah. you know, if you we all know you stop if you if you go to sleep, you're dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're dead. You're not coming back. You yeah. need to have that. And I it was a pretty far drive. We couldn't get Kazivak out of there, so. Uh, we had to drive it out, and, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a drive. We got stopped at every freaking gate, of course, so, you know, there's threatens of shootouts at every gate trying mm-hmm. to get in, and it was just, it was amazing, and all the drivers that day did a great job. The medic did a great job. Uh, you know, our, our, our leaders that took over, because, you know, our platoon leader's down, uh, our platoon sergeant and the other, the other yeah. NCOs that were with us, everybody just took over Step and did an amazing up. job. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those guys for stepping sure. up, you know. And for sure, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have a big connection with any of those guys anymore, other than you know the lieutenant and me and he's not a lieutenant anymore. He's a lieutenant colonel now. Yeah, yeah. Me and old Colonel West, you know, we we talk quite often. You know, every every few months we'll make sure we keep in contact and everything, but. I've never really got the proper opportunity as, a, as an adult man with a family to thank those guys for making sure I'm here. So if if my brother's out there listening to this anywhere, man, I, I thank you for, for me being here and just know I love you and uh, I'm doing great. And you guys are going to fucking learn that today. So let's go. For sure. Yeah. Well, my buddy Joe Rogan called and they will hear this because we are we are worldwide, baby. So they're yeah. going to be getting a hold of you. Look them up. Yeah, no kidding. Jokes, folks. Yeah. So do you fly, like, was this going to Germany time, or, or had that passed? I remember at the beginning, you get shot, you go to Germany. What, yeah, was, yeah was so this? I'm getting, so get blown up, uh, get over to the cash. We get to the cash, uh, cash 86 in Baghdad. I think the HBO did a special on this. I, I found it the other day on uh, HBO, or on Max or whatever it's mm-hmm. called, no free ads. Uh, but they did yeah. Yeah, they did a they did a special on the cash there where they were just working on IED victims. So you want to see what IED victims look like in the raw? Go watch that, and you'll get an idea of what I look I'm like. Good dude, I'm yeah, good. it's it's rough, bro. It is rough. I've watched it a couple times, uh, or not all the way through a couple times. I've checked parts of it out a couple times, and boom, right, it's it's rough to watch. But you know, so so we're at the cash. We get to the cash, and I remember I'm getting out of the vehicle and. This E7's running up to me, and they're like, he's like, bring the gurney. And I'm like, fuck you. I walked into this country. I'm walking out of it. He's like, fuck you. Get on the gurney. And I was like, all right. Yeah. So that, that story ended there. He, uh, he made me get on the gurney. I went back in. Uh, a lot of people's favorite part of the story is, like, when we're back there, you know, they sent out these two hot blondes that are, like, nurses mm-hmm. to come cut off your clothes and put in your catheter. Of course, it's of course it's two hot blondes. It's nobody else. They, yeah, couldn't, have any, they couldn't have anybody else. Yeah. And, uh I remember I'm laying on the table, and they're, you know, they got meds in me now. I'm probably loopy as shit. Morphine all in me and feeling good. And these two girls walk up, and they're like, all right, we're going to cut your clothes off. And I'm like, hey, just so you know, I'm not wearing any underwear. And they're like, yeah, we know everybody says that. And I'm like, hey, just so you know, it's really cold in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go, we know everybody says that. I'm prepping you. 
And I'm like, all right, fair enough. So they put the catheter in. I'm sitting here. And I hear them over there talking to my buddy. They're like, I'm going to cut off your clothes. And I hear Wes Knight go, just so you know, I'm not wearing any other Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's great. You know, uh, so a uh, preemptive strike. Yeah, and then shortly after, I'm out. And that's I, I passed out, and I don't really remember a lot of Baghdad. I, I woke up back in the room. Uh, I remember waking up, and Wes Knight had this uh, – freaking neck brace on and he was so pissed off because i didn't have a neck brace yeah, on yeah and uh my injuries were more significant than his so he didn't really get rushed to check out right so they just put a neck brace on him just to make sure and i do remember waking up just hearing him bitch about how uncomfortable his neck brace was uh and then that was really my last opportunity to say goodbye to all the guys yeah and then they uh medevaced me from there i, I got on a helicopter up to balad Spent some time in Balad, and then they so they restitched me up in Balad. That was the first chance to look at my my hands or what was left of them. And I remember them taking Wes's bandage off first and just looking at it and like he he so he, he only ended up losing a thumb thankfully, but his right hand's pretty mangled. And I mean his face, well, it was already ugly. It was ugly to, it begin, was ugly with. to begin with. Wes. Yeah. No. Sorry, Wes. No, no. Wes is a good looking guy. He'll take. Yeah. It. He'll be okay. Yeah. So you got medevaced out. Yeah. So uh, kind of pick up where you were when you got medevaced out. Where did you end up at uh, once it was all said and done? Yeah. So I I went from uh, Balad to Landstuhl, Germany. I spent three days in Landstuhl. Uh, then I was um, medevaced from Landstuhl to Walter Reed. Okay. So you get back to Walter Reed. I mean, you probably got going through a ton of different emotions. I mean, uh, messed up body parts, missing parts, things like that. You know, who's the, who's the first person to come see you and then kind of walk us through how that looked? Yeah, so when I got back to Walter Reed, my, my mom and dad were the first people that got there. Uh, they arrived there. I don't remember how long afterwards. I was so drugged up. I couldn't tell you what time even yeah. was back then. Um, so my parents got there Uh, a few hours later, my girlfriend at the time got there who was now my wife, Tara. Uh, poor lady. Yeah. Right. She has it so hard to be married to me. I feel bad for her too. Uh, uh, she likes to tell the story because when she came in, they were giving me an IV in my foot and it hurt good veins because your arms were yeah covered and shit okay i mean before the iv was in my groin so you know we went from groin to foot and uh, i remember they, they just couldn't hit that vein they just kept stabbing me in the foot and i was getting pissed and yeah i didn't have any meds in me and tara said she could hear me screaming down the hall and she comes in and uh i remember when she walked in i kicked everybody out and i just remember noticing she uh, permed her hair you go, it's cold in here. Yeah, I'm not ahead. wearing any underwear. Yeah, dude, baby, just, so you, just so you know, it's cold in here. I'm not wearing any underwear in there. Uh, I already heard this one, motherfucker. Yeah, there's a big piece of rubber sticking out of my uh, Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what, so uh, don't try to get too sexy with me. But, uh, and I smelled like crap, so yeah. uh, who knows the last time I've been clean. Yeah. So, yeah, she came, and I remember uh, she got a perm, and noticed, I noticed her hair first, and it just stood out. I'm like, oh, you got your hair done, and she was just wow. blown away. Like, that was the first thing I noticed. Oh, shit. Yeah, if Alicia doesn't tell me she's going to get her hair done, I have to make like a mental note. Like your hair looks great. Yeah. So, all right, Tara gets there. Um, what was recovery like? Like, what? How do you? How do you do occupational therapy and and physical therapy? You told me one time about phantom pain. 
I had yeah. our, our phantom feelings or pain. Yeah, phantom pain. I, I had never heard of that phenomenon, if you will, until you talked about it. But like, if if you're doing physical therapy, if I'm do if I break my fingers and I'm doing physical therapy, I can see them and move them and work them out. Yeah, quote unquote. If you don't have them, like how how I mean, how does that even work? So mainly my occupational therapy was for the right hand to okay. get the fingers moved. Okay, we did do some occupational therapy, like some. Uh, stretching on the thumb, make sure the thumb was usable. Yeah. Um, I only wanted to play hockey. Yeah. I looked at my rec, my medical records today, just happened to come across them today. And, uh, you know, I look back at from, it was June 2006, and it said, you know, patient wants to recover to play hockey again. And that was my only thing, was being able to get the grip strength back in my right hand to be able to grab a stick, figure out the way prosthetic's going to work, and yeah. let's get this show on the road, you know, because... I got to compete. I want to compete in something because, you know, that was just always my drive. I like, I like being competitive, but I also like being part of a team. So, well, and this isn't going to be the military work one in hand in hand, right? This isn't going to be the end of my shit. No, you know, yeah, no, no, no. missing some fingers, but like, that's not, we not, we're not going down that road. Yeah. Now it's even cooler because now I'm at a disadvantage right off the bat. Yeah. And I actually enjoy that. Yeah. You know, coming from the kind of mindset I had to get, to work to the person I am, you of course, kind of have to be crazy. A of little course, bit. yeah. And you, you kind of like that being disadvantaged. Yeah, it, it would. It's that struggle that we come from back in North County. Exactly. You, you know, know it's, hungry. It's, yeah, you know, and I, I, I love the idea of like coming back and playing hockey and being like, yeah, but I did it with a prosthetic hand. Right. Like, right. What, what did you do? He's today? got better skates than me. It's yeah. like, and I'm missing a hand, bitch. Yeah. What's up now? You know, you know, and guys are trying to fight me and they're like, drop the gloves. And I do. And they're like, shit, he's missing his hand. Yeah. I can't fight him. Don't this worry about weird. that. Bro. This happened yeah. last time I got into a hockey yeah, fight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> last guy bit it off. I'm ready to go. I think he told my kids you were a gator hunting or something. Yeah. Like gator got your hand or something. Dude, my kids, when, when he met my kids, stuff. my kid, and I told my kids, they had never seen anything like that. So I told them, I'm like, Hey man, listen, this is what happened. You know? And they, and they were trying to be as respectful as possible. And they, but you could, I was watching them, so they look him in the eye and then like kind of glance down. I'm like, let's get it out of the way, man. And I kind of turned it over to Tim, and he was talking to him, and like they wanted to touch it, you know, like his his hand his lack of hand. They, so they were kind of touching it, and he was like, "This is what it is," you know. Yeah. And and now when they see, it's not even a thing. But for little kids, they don't really get to see shit like that too often. Yeah. So they were so interested and in, and. In, when he left that time, when he first met all my kids, they were like, I feel really bad for him. I'm like, don't. He doesn't fucking feel bad for himself. He doesn't want you to feel bad for him. Nope. That That's not the mentality you have to keep going and to become as successful as he is and, and raising all his kids and dogs and wife and house and all the shit that he does. That mentality doesn't work. That that thing about victim, that's not going to fly, you know, and, and he's taken that and there's this – um sense of of pride knowing a guy like that that i'm looking at jason talking about you there's a sense of pride knowing you that each individual doesn't know how they'd handle that right like i can't say i'd be playing i don't know i can't say but to watch him like curl uh kettlebells and shit it's like you're not going to be able to do that he's like what bitch and like so he's taken this thing that could put some people down and he's turned it into like almost this weird mental edge because I have to fight harder than you yeah. now. I have to do everything harder than everybody. Yeah. And I'm, and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to enjoy watching you suffer about it, you know? Yeah. And I'm 
fat and overweight and it shocks people. I mean, I, I play hockey, volleyball, it doesn't matter. It, like if if there's a sport going to go down and people ask me to play, I'm it. Yeah. Like I just I like the idea of being competitive. Look, my my whole body's broken. I've broke just about every piece of my body at some point in yeah. time and all of it hurts all the time, but uh, I just, I don't know, I like, I just like being competitive. Like, people are like, hey, you want to wrestle? Yeah, I'll wrestle. Want to box? Sure, let's box. Like, right. I, don't, I don't really care. I don't care if I win or lose. I just like being in it. And I already know I got a mental advantage because I'm only in it to be in it. That's my only, like, yeah. that's my motivation is just to, just to be part of it. Like, yeah. You know, I'm not out here trying to play hockey to win Stanley Cups and get paid. I'm just there to play. Yeah. So and, were you always this mentally strong after the accident, or was there any obstacles you had to overcome at all with, with, with the mental piece? Oh, I don't think anybody's ever always mentally strong, and I'd be the first to admit it. I, I would say I've been 99% mental strong, but even 99% mentally strong over 18 years. Right. Fractions down yeah, a little bit. It, it leads to a couple months of, if you if you look at that, you know, it leads to a couple months of you know, mental weakness at point in times, whether it's at hours at a given time, uh, days, weeks. Yeah, I've been I've been mentally weak. I've been mentally weak, you know, within the last few months. See, right. Like I've been, I've had my ups and downs and I, I always have them. The problem is, uh, you know, kind of, it, it, it's just like sobriety or any other like thing you're recovering with or anything you're going through is, it's always going to be challenged. Whether it's a strength or a weakness, it's going to be challenged. Mm-hmm. If you have a strength, you're going to get challenged yeah. in that strength, or else you don't have a strength because nobody else is doing it because you don't have a challenger. But Or your body's not doing it. Like Your, your body will challenge itself. Like, yeah. You think you're mentally strong? Cool. Your mind will play tricks on you and make you think you're not at given times. It'll make you believe people that you love don't care about you. It'll make you do yeah, things sure. like that. So, uh, you know, I, I've definitely had my weak moments, but... How do you pull yourself out of those moments back to the strength that you and the motivation that you have to do the things that you really want to do and that, and that you're driven to do? Is Do you get help with that? Do you Is there a way that you, you self-motivate? Kind of walk us through that. It's a concoction of everything, I think. You know, um, like I said, I, li- I like playing sports. I like being athletic. That gives me some mental strength there. And, uh, you know, having that challenge and that drive that, you know, that – it's that you either win, lose or lose or learn. Win, lose or learn. That's it. When you play sports, that's the way I look at everything, and I like to learn a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I've learned a lot about myself over my life because I've done very little winning at anything in yeah. life, and that that's a a fact, you know. Well, listen, there are a lot of people that live in places that they're they're far out. A bunch of awesome country dudes that are going through stuff. They've they've lost limbs or gotten hurt. Um, they might not have the resources. Even the VA is is inattainable. Inattainable is that the right way to say unattainable? unattainable. unattainable. Sorry, In- unattainable for some people just to get to and yeah. maybe go to a support group or you know, like social media might be the only thing they have. So and that's dangerous. Well, right. If that's the only thing you have, that's very dangerous. Well, we're we're talking to people who might not have yeah. what you had and, yeah. and might not have what I had and stuff. When you're recovering from an injury like that, I can I can talk about drug addiction and I can talk about these. The, 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 and, but when you're recovering, let's leave our listeners with like, give us um, for me with drug addiction. My thing is people, places, and things, and I swear by it, and I always swear by it. Like wow. that 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 changed my life, and it, it's the reason I'm here. 
Do you have a thing, like a bullet point that no matter who you talk to, no matter how many times you tell this story, no matter how many questions you get asked, you, you can fucking, look, man, if you need a starting point, boom. Yeah, I, uh, I don't really say if you need a starting point. That's a great way to look at it. I've never really looked at it. Because starting point just the first step. That it jump. don't matter what it is. You just got to jump. The jump, I mean, dude. That's the hardest step. You know, we've we've talked about it. That first step is always the hardest step. It's yeah. Just taking that first step and, uh, you know, similar like when you when you join the military, I, I very few people just walk in like do 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 do. Here we go. I'm joining the military. Like let's no. They had to they had to get a little bit froggy and they had to jump. You know, they had to take that first step. And when you're on that road to recovery of addiction or whatever it is, mental health issues or physical issues. It's about finding the, the right group of people around you. Sure. You know, that That is very key. That's the first thing I always say is weed out the trash and get the good people around you. And you might be shocked at who the trash is and who the good people are. Right. But if you get out of your like vapid self absorbed ways and, and look at what's important in life and look at what's real and what you can touch and, uh, and, and think about what's important, you'll find out who's important in your life real quick. But you do have to look for it. You, you can't, you can't sit and it's and not just sitting there. It's it doesn't come to your mailbox. It, it does not come to you. And then you got to get out. You right. have to get out. You know, you got to push yourself out. Nature. I talk about nature all the time, man. It's the shit. Who the hell Who the hell gets out in nature all the time? Not a lot of people. Yeah. Now, I do all the time. I take my dog down to the river. Right. We go out in real nature. I'm not talking about your grass, your front yard. That's not nature, people. Yeah. Like, get lost. Go out where your cell phone doesn't work. And there's not grass that's imported from Africa and Asia, and it's actually wild stuff that grows because nobody involved, nobody touched it. Yeah, go visit those places and realize what this place is. Right, a connection, and you, it can it can cleanse your soul, man. It can For cleanse sure. your mind. It can cleanse your body. It can cleanse your soul. So I get out in nature as much as I can. You know, that's that's number one. I love camping. I love. You know, like you said, we, we, I love my dog, so I take my dog down to the river all the time. He loves to swim. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's get those important people and then, you know, go to those important places. Find that, find that happy place of yours that you can go to, that you can escape when you need to. People, places, and things yeah. work for more than just drug addiction. Bro. Exactly. It's, you know, a, it's a fucking, it's a staple, man. It's important. And then things, hockey, you know, I, yeah. that's my mental health drug. That's yeah. when I'm playing hockey. I, it's, I, it's, it's the locker room. The locker room is like this, you know, it's open forum. Yeah. We're having conversations or, you know, only self-censoring. Nobody else is telling us what we have to say and what we can say. So we're, we're always having a good time and, yeah. uh, you know, you, you, Create that brotherhood. So then now you got new people. So there's more people I got in my life and yeah. more people I can trust. And, uh, you know, and that's that thing. So yeah, I'm going to, I might have to steal that people place. Dude, thing from have me. it. Everybody needs yeah. it, man. So listen, we all know that it's not just as easy as moving out of town. You can't just get up and always move houses and find new friends, but you can get up and take a step in that direction and find out what your people, places, and things is. It might not be hockey. It might not be running, it, but it's out there, man. But again, it's not just going to come to the mailbox. You got to take that first step. Yeah. You got to move. You got to move. Uh, movement kills procrastination. All That's that what I'm shit. Hearing. That's the theme I'm hearing is get up and move. You got yeah. to just get, and then, and then start somewhere and you'll end up somewhere you know right. make it well, make good positive choices that, that grind might be what you love 
you you might think that you're going out like trying to work on your mental health and like oh I need to find this and this this leads to an end game yeah. but that one that first step is the end game that yeah. might, you know whether it picking up a sport picking up a hobby you know hey I'm going to start archery I'm going to start shooting I'm going to throw axes I'm going to throw darts I'm going to play a sport I'm going to do yoga I'm going to do whatever it is yeah you know that's how I want to work on my mental health I think that'll make me happy well you might find out like in the beginning that grind you're like oh my god I can't do this and then Two, three, four months in, you're grinding it out, and you're like, "Man, I love this grind." Yeah, it's a path, dude. I love the grind. Forget wherever it's going. I'm, I'm completely okay where it's at because I don't want to. I don't think about hockey and like, oh, I want to win championships down the road and do this. I'm like, dude, I just want to play the next game. Where right. is that? Like, where are we playing? Yeah, you know. Well, listen, man, this has been great. Um, I, I know that we can go for hours, and I think we will. Um. Thanks so much again for coming in. Your your story I might not seem like it now, but it's gonna help some people and people are gonna get shit out of it, man. And and we're so happy to have you, Jason. Thank you for everything you do for the podcast. You make this whole thing happen. I'm just a shit talking weirdo. So thank you for everything. Uh ladies and gentlemen, Tim Taylor, we will talk to you soon. Um find us on Spotify, Facebook. Come back and see us, man. We're gonna keep doing good things. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. I really appreciate you giving me the time and the you know, the audience to share my story with and couldn't think of a better person to share it with than you, Dom, and Jason. It was wonderful meeting you, and thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. People, places, and things, get up and move. We're going to go ahead and sign off of the Dog Tag Podcast at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The dog tag is brought to you by the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. Do you like our podcast? With your support, we'll continue to bring you great programming. If you'd like to donate, go to sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate.